This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast and God bless. By his wounds we are healed. Let me pray. Father, we come to you right now just desiring to know you more. With a desire to understand you more, Father. To to study your word more. So, Lord, I pray for the next little while that you would help us focus in on the text that you've given us this morning. Lord, you would just help us to see very clearly who you are. I pray, Lord, that we would take what we've learned that would be more than just words on a page, Father, but it would be words that can change our hearts, change our minds, and ultimately change our lives, Lord. And I pray we would leave here transformed, Father, into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. I want to begin this morning, like I did last week, reading from a New Testament passage of Scripture. Now, I don't want you to open up to this passage. I just want you to listen to it. I'm going to read this morning, beginning from the book of Acts, chapter 8, verse 26. Let me just read it to you. I want you to listen. Acts 8, 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah. And the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. When Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, he said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come and to sit up with him. And the Ethiopian was reading the passage of Scripture. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but this is from Isaiah 53. Let me quote what Acts tells us. Here's what he was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And so the Ethiopian asked Philip, Tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. (laughs) This is week eight of our sermon series entitled The Great Story. And we've been studying for the last many weeks the picture of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And we've begun to develop this picture of the Messiah slowly but surely. It's kind of like we're putting together this big puzzle. And we add piece upon piece upon piece upon piece until this picture begins to form more and more clearly of Jesus Christ. And we've made these connection points. And we've connected Adam and Eve to Abraham, to David, to eventually to Christ. And we've made these connection points of all these New Testament passages back to the Old Testament. Remember in John chapter 3, Jesus is talking about Numbers chapter 21. We made that connection point. We read last week in Psalm chapter 22, the connection point between Christ on the cross in Matthew chapter 27. And in this passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 8, we connect Christ back to Isaiah 53. And so for the next little while this morning, I want to turn to what I believe 
is the greatest messianic prophecy in all of the Old Testament. It's Isaiah chapter 53. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open there with us. Isaiah chapter 53. Just a side note, as you're flipping to the the book of Isaiah, I've had several people ask me about some of the sermons that we've studied the last few weeks and wonder if they get a copy or listen to them. All of our sermons are online now. So if you missed one or are interested in listening to another one, again, you can go online and read that. Larry Ninus has been doing that for me. Larry's in the back. Thank you, Larry. Uh, Larry does a lot of work that you don't ever see behind the scenes. He takes this from the, from the tape and, and you know, does some fancy computer stuff with it that he knows how to do, and boom, it's on the Internet. So if you're interested, you can go listen to those. But Larry, I want to thank you again for doing that. The book of Isaiah, written 700 years before the birth of Christ, is filled with prophecy concerning Jesus. Now, I don't have time this morning to go in depth into all the different prophecies found in the book of Isaiah. But if you were to read through Isaiah over and over and over again, you would see prophecies concerning Christ. Now, I'm going to give you just a few of them this morning. I'm going to give you a few prophecies in the book of Isaiah that look ahead to Christ. You don't have to turn to them if you don't want to. But you can make a note if you're making notes in your Bible in Isaiah 53 of several prophecies leading up to this point that concern Jesus Christ. I'll give you an example. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. Now, this is Isaiah 7, written 700 years before the birth of Christ. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Again, Isaiah chapter 9, written 700 years before the birth of Christ. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, looking ahead to Christ and His calling in the wilderness, says this, A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for God. On and on we could go. In fact, scholars believe that somewhere around 120 prophecies about Christ are written in Isaiah alone. If you were to go to Luke chapter 4 and see that when Jesus Christ was in the temple, in the synagogue, and He was handed the scroll, He opened the scroll and He read from Isaiah 61. So over and over again, we make these connection points between the New Testament and the book of Isaiah. But of all the prophecies found in the book of Isaiah, for as incredible as the prophecies are, I believe there's one chapter in Isaiah that's greater than all the other prophecies in the book of Isaiah. Some scholars refer to it as the Mount Everest of Old Testament prophecies. It's Isaiah chapter 53, and we're going to turn our attention to to that chapter this morning. So let's look at verse 1 together. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. I'm going to whet your appetite just a little bit. I want to tell you what's coming here. Up to this point, we've seen pictures of the Messiah. And we've seen this idea that Messiah in some way is going to suffer and die. And again, from our study in the Old Testament, we don't know exactly what that's going to look like yet. But in Isaiah 53, for the first time, we're going to see something different. We're going to see for the first time in our study that not only is the Messiah going to suffer and die, but that he's ultimately going to give his life for you. You hear that? For the first time in our study, now we've seen a picture of the Messiah. We're building, putting the pieces together, building that puzzle piece and seeing that picture more and more clearly. But for the first time in Isaiah 53, we're going to see that not only is the Messiah going to give his life, not only is he going to suffer and die, but he's going to die for you. This is very important Old Testament prophecy. So Isaiah chapter 53, beginning in verse 1. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot 
And like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Now I want to begin this morning by making a point to you of something we've seen already in our study of the great story. We've seen this already over the last several weeks. We've seen the picture of Messiah, but we see it again in the first three verses of Isaiah 53. We see, number one, Christ's suffering. We see his suffering. That's the first thing I want to point out to you. Now, this is not new for us. This is not anything we haven't seen up to this point. We've seen the suffering. We, we understand something's going to happen. In fact, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent we saw were going to do battle, and the seed of the woman in some way would be injured. But it's interesting because as we delve into this passage of Scripture, we see this interesting reference here in verse 1 to this shoot that will come up from the stump of Jesse. From its roots, we hear about. We're not sure exactly who this person is. We're not exactly sure what this stump is going to be or what kind of dry ground we're talking about. But it reminds me as we were look back in the book of Isaiah, and we don't have time to go through all the prophecies this morning. But if we were to read back and look back at Isaiah 11, I want to read a passage to you from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1, 2, and 3. Listen to this. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Now there's the imagery right there. The shoot and the the stump growing up. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. And the spirit of wisdom and of understanding. And the spirit of counsel and of power. And the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So we make this connection now. Isaiah 11 talks about the, the, the stump growing up. And this root growing up from the stem of Jesse. And then verse chapter 53, verses 1 and 2 make reference to that. Now, let me just remind you of something here as we move forward in this passage. Jesse was David's father, remember? So we've made the connection point between Adam and Eve all the way to Abraham, from Abraham to David, and eventually from David to Christ. So when we talk about this shoot coming up from dry ground, it's a reference to Isaiah chapter 11, and it's talking about Jesse. So here's what's happening now. This shoot that's coming out of this dry ground in Isaiah 53 is in the house and the line of David. Because we've made the connection to Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. David eventually, through his line, we're going to have Christ. But here's the interesting thing. David was a king. In fact, David was one of the greatest kings, probably the greatest king that Israel had ever seen. So when we read about a king, we would think that a king would be powerful, right? We would think that a king would be respected. We would think that a king would be impressive, at least by human standards. But instead of seeing an impressive king... Instead of seeing a powerful king, instead of seeing a king that's loved by the people that he serves, look at what we see instead in verse 3. Isaiah 53, 3 says this, Instead of a powerful king, we see that he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Now we ask ourselves the question. If we're looking ahead to Christ here, and we're thinking about all Christ was going to be, why would people hide their faces from him? Why would people like Peter turn their back on Jesus Christ? Why would all the disciples not run to his rescue when he needed them the most? Why would Judas betray him? Why would all these disciples, when they had seen so many things that Christ had done, when they had seen his power, they had seen all the things that he accomplished when he healed the sick and caused the lame to walk and caused the blind to see. When they'd seen all these things, why did they turn their back on Christ? And I have this, 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 the word has left my mind. This, this desire sometimes, that's not the word I'm looking for. I, I, I sometimes have this habit, there it is, of seeing these disciples 
and wondering how they could do this. And, and sometimes I get mad. I think, Peter, why, why would you turn your back on Christ? Why, why would you see all these things and not help Jesus? Why, why would you hide your face from Christ? And, and then I think about all they did. And I think about all that Christ accomplished. And then I look at myself in the mirror. <laughs> and I think, Adam, how could I sometimes turn my back on Christ? How could I reject the things of God? I mean, how, how easy, easy, easy is it for us to, to choose the things of the world instead of choosing the things of Christ? How many times do we reject Jesus and, and in favor of the world we do other things? How many times do we hear somebody saying things about Christ or saying things about his church and we fail to stand up for Jesus? How many times do we reject him in the way that we live? But see, we, we see this picture of Jesus here in, in the first part of Isaiah 53 of not only being rejected... But heaping upon that rejection is his suffering. The Bible tells us he was rejected and he suffered. Now, now we're familiar with this idea of Christ's suffering. We, we've seen this before. We know that something's coming with this Messiah. We know that there's going to be some sort of suffering and some sort of pain and some sort of torment in his life. We're not exactly sure what it is, but I'm reminded of passages of Scripture in the New Testament that speak of that suffering. So examples, Matthew chapter 4, tell us the story of Jesus Christ in the wilderness and being tempted by the devil and suffering for 40 days. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 say this, Although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he, from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who would obey him. John chapter 11, verse 35, When Jesus came upon the scene of Lazarus after he had died, the shortest verse in all the Bible tells us that Jesus wept. We see that Jesus was a man of sorrows and a, and a man that was familiar with suffering. But here's the interesting thing. Here's where this passage of Scripture is going to turn for us. We're going to see that Jesus not only suffered, not only was Jesus familiar with suffering, but there was a purpose for his suffering. That's important for us to understand. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 of Isaiah 53 says this, Surely he took up our infirmities, and he carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now here's, here's the picture we get up to this point. We've seen Christ's suffering, verses 1, 2, and 3. We see that very clearly. We've seen that before in Scripture. We see it in the New Testament. We see that he has suffered. But here's the interesting thing. In verses 4, 5, and 6, we see that his suffering very clearly was for a purpose. So here's what we see. His suffering, number one, leads to our salvation. You see that? His suffering leads to our salvation. Now, we understand this idea of suffering would eventually mean the cross. We've seen pictures in the Old Testament. Psalm 22 is probably the clearest picture of the crucifixion in all the Old Testament. And so we know that he's going to suffer. So I want to do something just for a minute or two, if I can. I want to compare some Old Testament texts to some New Testament texts here in Isaiah 53. Because I want you to get the picture of exactly what we're talking about here. And we've got these we're going to bring up for you. So if we looked in Isaiah 53, verse 4... The Bible says that he took up our infirmities and he carried our sorrows. Now let's look at John 19, 17. We've got that on the screen for you. Now think about the imagery here from Isaiah 54, 53, 4. He took up our infirmities, he carried our cross. John uh, carried our sorrows. John 19, 17. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. You see the picture there? He took up our infirmities. 
He carried our sorrows. You see the picture of him picking up the cross and carrying the cross to Calvary? Verse 5 of Isaiah 53 says he was pierced for our transgressions. John 19, 34, I think we have that one. says that one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Remember, none of his bones were broken. And so to see if Jesus was actually dead, they pierced his side while he was still on the cross. Verse 5 of Isaiah 53 says, The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Isaiah 1, excuse me, 1 Peter 2, verse 24 says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. And here's Peter quoting Isaiah 53, By his wounds we are healed. So we, we see this incredible picture of suffering and we understand by comparing the Old Testament and the New Testament that this suffering is going to take place on the cross. But for the first time in our study of the great story, we're going to see something different here. We're going to see that it's not just about suffering. We're going to see instead that his suffering has a very clear purpose. Now I want to reread for you verses 5 and 6. You don't have to bring them up. But I want to read Isaiah 53, 5 and 6 for you. And I want to emphasize something. I want you to listen to this. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see the picture here? We see that Christ's suffering is going to lead to our salvation. And so we see the picture of our transgressions, our iniquities. We are healed through punishment, through His pain. There's, there's a picture of more than just the cross here. There's the picture of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for you. You see that? It's about as clear of a picture in the Old Testament of salvation as we can get. Jesus Christ is going to suffer. He's going to die He's going to take your sins, he's going to take your place, and all of his suffering will lead you to salvation. John Stott, who's one of my favorite authors, if you're interested in reading theology, you ought to read something that John Stott has written. He died a couple years back. But here's what he said. He said, when we review all of the Old Testament material, the shedding and the sprinkling of blood, the sin offering, the Passover, the scapegoat of Abraham and Isaac, and we consider its New Testament application to the death of Christ, we are obliged to conclude that the cross was a substitutionary sacrifice. Christ died for us. Christ died instead of us. And Christ died without sin in substitution for our sins. I'm reminded of Romans 5.8 that says this, For God demonstrated His own love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's a picture in Isaiah 53 of not only Jesus Christ giving his life, not only Jesus suffering on the cross, but Jesus suffering and dying on the cross for your sin. But now Isaiah 53, and, and one of the most interesting twists here, and one of the most interesting turns, probably the most, my favorite part of this passage of Scripture is Isaiah is going to do something very interesting for us here. I want, to, I want you to see it. If you were to read back through Isaiah 53, the first few verses, you would see that Isaiah speaks in the past tense. And let me tell you what I mean. If you were to read back in Isaiah 53 to verse 2, you'd see that he says he grew up. That's past tense. He had no beauty. He was despised. He was rejected. Verse 4, he took up. He carried. 
We considered him stricken. Verse 5, he was pierced. He was crushed. You see this passage of Scripture pointing to the past tense over and over again. He was, he was, he was. And you say, no, wait a minute, Adam. I thought Isaiah 53 was written 700 years before the birth of Christ. How is it that Isaiah is looking into the future, he's talking about an event that has not yet taken place, and yet he's talking in the past tense? Exactly what does that mean? Well, Isaiah is using what's called the prophetic perfect, and here's what it means. Prophets oftentimes would write in the past tense because they were so certain of what God was saying. They were so certain of who God was and all he was going to accomplish, they wrote it as if it had already happened. And so 700 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah is writing of Jesus, and he's writing about him, writing about him in the past tense. He grew up. He had no beauty. He was despised. He was rejected. He was pierced. He was crushed. But now look at verse 5. I want you to pull it up. Isaiah does something amazing in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. Watch this. He was pierced for our transgressions. See the past tense? He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we, what? Are healed. You see that? Here's the beautiful part about the picture of salvation of Jesus Christ. No matter when you read this text, you can still be healed. It wasn't something that was just offered to the first century believers. It wasn't something that was just offered to the reformers of the middle centuries. It wasn't something that was just offered to your parents or your grandparents. When you read this passage of Scripture, it's the present tense. By His wounds you are healed. And so when your children read it, when your grandchildren read it, a thousand years from now when someone reads this passage of Scripture, it's still current. By Christ's wounds we are healed. It's incredibly simple, and yet it's incredibly profound. So here's what that means for you. No matter what sin you may have committed, you can be forgiven of that sin right now. If you've lied, you can be healed. You can be forgiven. If you've committed adultery, you can be healed. You can be forgiven. If you've committed lust, you can be healed. You can be forgiven. If you've committed idolatry, you can be healed. You can be forgiven. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what past you bring to the table. In Jesus Christ, there is hope and there is healing. Because Christ offered everything to us and he died on the cross for our sins. But I, I want to be honest with you for just a second. I want to talk to you very clearly and I want to step on your toes just for a second. <laughs> I want you to be ready for it. Now we'll sit here and we'll look at this passage of Scripture. And we'll read this passage of Scripture and we'll, we'll just think, how, how incredible was God's love for us? And how incredible that, that, that this, this promise is current for every generation doesn't matter when you read it, it's current. We'll, we'll talk about how incredible it is. We'll talk about God's forgiveness. And we'll talk about how wonderful He is in our life. And here's the question I want you to ask yourself. If it's so incredible, if it's so wonderful, when's the last time you shared it with somebody else? Uh, let's see, Christmas of 2007, I think. I talked to my brother. No, 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 no. <laughs> when's the last time we shared it? Have you done it in the last week? In the last month? Have you ever done it? And we'll sit here and we'll look at this passage of Scripture and we'll talk about how incredibly powerful it is and we'll think about all God did in our lives. We'll think about how we were healed, right? We'll think about all that He's accomplished for us and yet we'll come to church and we'll never share it with another person. So I'm going to challenge you to do something. I'm not just going to point this out to you and then not give you something to actually do. I, I, I purchased something for our church. I saw this tract maybe a year ago. I don't know how long ago I saw it and I really liked it. 
I just thought it was powerful. It, it's a story of who Christ was. It's a story of who God is and his love for us. And so I bought enough of these tracks for every person in this church to have one. Here's your challenge. You come, I've got them down here on the front pew. After the service is over, you come and pick up a track, and here's your challenge. You give it to an unbeliever, and you tell them the story of Jesus. That's all you got to do. That's it. You don't have to do anything real fancy. You don't have to preach a long sermon. You don't have to do anything like that. I want you to take this track. You ought to read over it a little bit and give this to somebody and share with them the story of Jesus Christ. That's all you got to do. You can put your name and phone number on the back of it. But here's what I don't want you to do. If you're not going to give it to somebody, don't pick one up. Don't pick one up and throw it away. I want you to pick one up and I want you to give it to somebody who's an unbeliever. Because if this story is true, and it is, then it's a game changer, right? I mean, it will change people's lives. It changed yours. You've seen it change others. Why aren't we sharing it with somebody? How can the story of Jesus Christ change their life? I want you to take one of these tracks and I want you to give it to an unbeliever. They're going to be right down here on the front. Now, I'm going to remind you of these at the end of the service, and I'm going to remind you about them in a few weeks and challenge you to see if you've done it. So we, we've gone through and we've seen the suffering. We've seen that the suffering of Jesus Christ leads to our salvation. It's an incredible picture of exactly what he accomplished. Verses 7, 8, and 9 speak of Christ's death. They talk about him being cut off from the land of the living and a sign of the grave. Now I want to look at verse 10. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10. Now, bearing in mind we've seen his suffering, we've seen our salvation, and now verse 10. Yet... Isaiah says. So based on everything that we've seen yet, now listen to this, it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. So we've seen this idea of suffering. We've seen that that suffering had a purpose. It led to our salvation. And ultimately in verse 10, we're going to see finally God's plan. We've seen suffering salvation, and finally we see God's plan. Here's God's plan. You ready for this? God's plan is that Jesus Christ would die on the cross, that he would suffer, and he would give his life for your sins. That's God's will. You say, wait a minute, I, I just don't know. I don't, I don't know if I can get my head around that, that this was God's will for this to happen. I mean, can we say it was an accident maybe that Jesus was crucified? Is that fair? No, we can't say it's an accident. That's not what the Scripture teaches can we say that maybe he didn't like it, but he let it happen anyway? But that's not what the Scripture teaches. Now, we, we may not be able to fully get our mind around this, or we may not even really like this in all cases. But the Bible tells us it was God's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And you say, well, how can that be God's will? Why did this have to happen? Well, there, there are two aspects here I want to cover very quickly. You need to understand this. There are two reasons that this had to happen. One reason is because God is just. The Bible tells us that. Over and over and over again we read that God is holy and that God is just and he cannot look upon sin. He can't allow sin to continue and so God in some way has to punish sin. So we see in the Old Testament, if you were to read through the Old Testament, you would see over and over again that there has to be an atonement for sin. Now in the Old Testament it was the sacrifice of the animal and, and the blood would be brought to the altar and they would atone for their sins. And God was very specific in the Old Testament about exactly how that ought to happen. But I want to remind you of something very clearly here. In the Old Testament, when God called this animal to be sacrificed for the sin of his people, these animals had to be perfect. You remember, without defect, without spot, without blemish. And so I'll remind you in Exodus chapter 12, when we studied the Passover, 
And God said to these Israelites, you need to take a, 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 an animal and you need to sacrifice this animal. Exodus 12 verse 5 says this, The animals that you choose must be year-old males without defect. So God says, I need a perfect sacrifice to atone for your sins. So here's the beauty of what Christ did. Jesus Christ came to the earth and he lived a sinless life. And when he died on the cross, he was your perfect sacrifice. Do you understand that? Your sins had to be atoned for. God couldn't just look at your sins and say, I'm not going to worry about them. I'm going to turn the other cheek and just let you do whatever you do. God is a holy God. God is a just God and sin had to be punished. And so God says to Christ, you go and you live a sinless life and you atone for the sin of these people. But there's more than just the justice of God. That's one side of the equation. The other side of the equation is the love of God. The Bible tells us very clearly over and over and over again that God is love. We see it all through the New Testament. 1 John 4 says this, Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Now listen to this. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not, does not know God because God is love. It doesn't say that God loves us, although He does. It doesn't say that a little bit of God is love. It says that God is love. So everything that God does operates from love. John 3.16 tells us this, For God so loved the world that He what? What's the next word? Gave. Now here's what we do with God. God, I love you so much, but I'm never going to do anything to show it. <laughs> God, I truly love you, but I'm not willing to really sacrifice. God, I love you, but I'm not really going to give you anything. I'm going to talk about my love all day long, and I'm going to tell the people in my Sunday school class that I love you, but when the rubber meets the road, God, I'm not really going to do anything to demonstrate my love for you. But John 3.16 shows us what real love is. For God so loved the world that he gave. You see that? There's action there. His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Isaiah 53 is a picture of God's plan to send Jesus Christ to the earth as a perfect sacrifice to die for your sin on the cross to take your place so you may receive salvation. That's a picture of who Christ is. It's probably the clearest picture in the Old Testament of exactly who Jesus was going to be and exactly what Jesus was going to accomplish. Now verses 11 and 12, I want to read those very quickly. They talk about the resurrection of Christ. Isaiah 53, 11 says this, After the suffering of his soul, in other words, after all he's been through, he will see the light of life. So he suffered, he was crucified. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 53 that he was going to die. He was buried, talks about his grave. And then in verse 11, After the suffering of the soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. He's going to raise again from the dead. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, verse 12 says, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. Remember, he was, he was punished with the criminals there as he was crucified. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. It's a picture of Jesus Christ's resurrection. And it's a picture that proves to us that he is God and he was satisfied with all that Christ accomplished on the cross when he suffered and died. Now, Isaiah 53 is probably the clearest picture of Christ in all the Old Testament, written 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. It shows his sacrifice, it shows his suffering, it shows us our ultimate salvation, and it gives us a picture of exactly why God did this. And I, I just imagine that Isaiah is writing this passage of Scripture, and he's, he's writing this down, the Holy Spirit is inspiring him, and he's putting this on paper, having no real idea of exactly how it's going to be fulfilled. 
And yet centuries later we read that Jesus Christ would be despised and rejected. Jesus Christ would take up our infirmities. Jesus Christ would carry our sorrows. He would be crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And I want you to watch this. And we'll finish with this this morning. Because of all that Jesus Christ did and because of all that Jesus Christ accomplished, there is hope for you and it's salvation in him. So if you're hurting and you think that life is hopeless and you don't think there's anywhere to turn, I want you to understand this. If you've got nowhere else to go, you can turn to Christ. Why, Adam? Because the Bible tells us that through his wounds, we are healed. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you again for this picture of salvation. For this incredibly clear, beautiful picture of Jesus Christ, Lord, and for all that he accomplished. For all that he did, Lord, for all that he gave. It's so easy for us just to overlook it, Lord. It's so easy for us just to forget. It's so easy for us, Lord, just to go and... and, and, live our lives day to day and forget all the things that that Christ did for us and all that he gave us on the cross. So I pray that we'd remember. I pray we'd take very seriously, Lord, this calling to to share his name and to make this story known to all those that would hear. Lord, I pray you would do an incredible work in our life. Just continue to mold us, continue to shape us into the image of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you a few minutes. If you want to come down and pray. If you want to repent of your sins and turn to Jesus Christ, if you want to accept him as your Lord and Savior, if you want to join this church, this is your time right now as we sing together. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. We invite you to visit our campus at 3794 Hamilton Road in LaGrange, Georgia. Or visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. God bless you.